I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Jonah. We'll be continuing our series in this amazing book where we will see how merciful and loving our God is. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, please use one of the Bibles located in the back of the pews. You can turn to page 726. And if you don't own a Bible, feel free to take that Bible as a gift. All right, so today we'll be looking at Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, through chapter 2, verse 10. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is God's word. Let's pray. Oh God, we pray that your spirit would shine on our sin-darkened hearts. Help us to see Jesus. Lead us by this text to him. But Lord, we also pray for ourselves that you would show us ourselves in the mirror of your holy word and that we would repent and turn to our only Savior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're going to look at one of the greatest fish stories ever told. Unfortunately, the only part of the story of Jonah that people remember from its 48 verses are the three verses that mention the great fish that swallowed Jonah. As George Campbell Morgan once said, men have been looking so hard at the great fish that they have missed the great God. And let it be our prayer this morning that we do not miss this great God. And so with that warning in mind, I am not going to waste any time trying to argue the historical truth about this great fish, or whether it was a whale or a shark or just a really large fish. The Bible declares this to be true. And as Christians, we sit under the authority of the word, not over it. And so we will receive it as it is. 
This is the very word of God. This is truth. And so our concern this morning is to meet the God who met Jonah. The main point of the sermon this morning, what I hope that you would see in the text is this, that God's saving grace should lead his people to continual repentance. God's saving grace should lead his people to continual repentance. All right, little recap. Last week we saw that the word of the Lord came to the prophet Jonah. God commanded Jonah to go to the people of Nineveh and call out against them. God said, go, and Jonah said, no. Jonah ran in the opposite direction. He boarded a ship to Tarshish. And while Jonah knew that it was impossible to flee from God, he still tried. The Lord did not accept Jonah's resignation. And so he hurled a great storm toward that ship. And as a result, Jonah was thrown overboard and pagan sailors ended up worshiping and fearing the Lord. So last week we ended with the sea being as calm as it could be. But here in verse 17, we return to Jonah. As he sinks into the depths of the sea, again, God is displaying his sovereignty over creation. Instead of sending a great storm to get Jonah's attention, God sends a great fish to save Jonah. As Jonah is sinking deeper and deeper into the ocean. Remember, there's this downward motion being emphasized here because of Jonah's disobedience. Jonah went down to Joppa. He went down into the ship. He went down into the inner parts of the ship. And now he's going further down into the depths of the ocean. The bad news for Jonah is that for every action he takes... God takes one in return. Jonah flees on a ship heading to Tarshish. God sends a storm that threatens to break up the ship. Jonah tells the sailors to throw him overboard. God sends a fish to swallow him up. And what seems to be bad news, a storm, a fish swallowing you whole, is actually the mercy of God. God is at work in the life of Jonah. He's not letting him off easy. God cares for Jonah. And like a loving parent who disciplines their disobedient child, God sends his loving discipline in order to help Jonah see his sin. Starting in chapter 2, we have this prayer spoken by Jonah. And just a quick glance at this prayer, you would think that Jonah was reciting one of the Psalms, right? Take a look at it. Chapter two, verses two through nine. A quick glance at this prayer makes you think that Jonah's reciting one of the Psalms to the point that David, who wrote most of the Psalms, probably deserves some credit from Jonah. For sure, Jonah's words here are shaped by the Psalms. Jonah was a prophet of God. He knew God's word. And as Jonah prays inside the belly of this great fish, 
he's reflecting on being cast into the sea. And after he was cast into the sea, Jonah started to sink to the bottom. This was somewhat of a wake-up call for Jonah. He came face to face with the reality of death. He writes in verse 2 that he called out to God from the belly of Sheol. Sheol is the Hebrew word for the realm of death. Jonah thought he was going to die. In verse three, verse 3, he says, the waves and the billows passed over him. In verse 5, the waters were crashing over his head to take his life. And as he sank deeper and deeper towards the bottom of the sea, towards the roots of the mountains, seaweed wraps around his face and his head. And in verse 7, he says, my life was fainting away. This prayer gives a pretty graphic and scary picture of someone who is actually drowning. Jonah was close to death. And along with feeling close to death, Jonah also feels the absence of the Lord's presence. Take a look at verse 4. He says, I am driven away by your sight, from your sight. And because of this experience, Jonah does something that he has not done up until this point. He calls out to God. Jonah prays for the first time. In chapter 1, when Jonah was sleeping in the inner part of the ship, the captain woke him up and told him to pray. But Jonah refused to pray. But now, as he feels the distance between himself and his God and the closeness of death, Jonah finally calls out to God. There's this change in him. Jonah was the one who told the sailors to throw him in the sea. But now he desires to live. And so he desperately cries out to the Lord. Look again at verse 2. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. And then in verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Jonah finally turns back to the Lord. But keep in mind what had to happen in order for this to happen. God pursued Jonah through discipline. Jonah is changing. There's a change in Jonah because of God's merciful, loving discipline. Jonah disobeyed God's word and ran, but God sent a storm his way, and he appointed a great fish to swallow him. God didn't do this to destroy Jonah. He did this to save him. Not to save Jonah from the storm that threatened to break up the ship. No, God sent the fish to save him from the sin that was making a shipwreck of his life. Our God will do whatever it takes to preserve you and keep you if you are his child. He will do whatever it takes to remove the sin which clings so closely. We learned this when we looked at 1 Peter, that God preserves his people by his power. 
power and that he uses various trials in order to refine us. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 through 12, it says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves. As a father, the son in whom he delights. God disciplines the ones he loves. Sometimes discipline is needed in our lives. Sometimes out of his love and mercy, God will send a storm our way or allow us to sink into the depths in order for us to see our sin and turn to him. Let Jonah be a warning to you not to try to flee from the presence of the Lord because God may give you what you want for a season and allow you to feel the absence of his presence until you've learned the hard way of not to presume upon his grace. We should never take God's grace for granted. And this prayer from the belly of the fish that we read in verses 1 through 9 is actually Jonah's second prayer, which reflects on his first prayer that he prayed while he was sinking, thinking that he was going to die. Jonah recalls that experience of his calling out to God in a moment of panic and then celebrates that God actually answers his prayer by saving him. In verse 2, he says, the Lord answered me and heard my voice. In verse 6, you brought up my life from the pit. And then in verse 9, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is a prayer that is similar to those psalms that we read in the, in the psalms. This, this is similar to a psalm of thanksgiving. Jonah isn't drowning anymore. He's actually going to live. God saved Jonah miraculously through this great fish. And Jonah praises God for answering his prayer. This should remind us to praise God for the ways in which he has heard our prayers and the way that he has answered them. But as we read, read this prayer, we should also notice that something is missing. If this prayer were a song, we would hear something out of tune. Something's off. A note is missing in Jonah's prayer. While there are many beautiful aspects of this prayer, it is missing an essential element in light of the context of Jonah's story. Repentance is missing. Jonah never mentions repentance. He never mentions sin. He never mentions wrongdoing. True repentance involves an acknowledgement of our sin, a turning away from it and turning towards God in obedience. In the case of Jonah, he has sinned against God by disobeying his word because he didn't want to go to Nineveh and preach. Yet we don't see any remorse or grief for his sin. Compared to Psalm 32 or Psalm 50, 51, where David writes, 
Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. This is what Jonah should be saying, but he doesn't. God is at work in the life of Jonah. Jonah seems to be changing, but it's almost as if Jonah has forgotten why he is in this mess. Jonah has come a long way. He was running from God, and now he's in the belly of a fish calling out to God, but he has a long way to go. He has not confessed his sin before God and repented. The sin that made him flee still remains in Jonah's heart, unrepented of, unconfessed. And did you notice some of the things that Jonah says in his prayer that seem a little off? In verse 3, Jonah blames God for his circumstances. He says, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and billows passed over me. Of course, Jonah is technically right since God ordains everything that happens because of his sovereignty, but Jonah blatantly ran from God. And instead of repenting and asking the captain to turn the ship around and go back to Joppa, Jonah casts himself into the deep because he would rather die than go to Nineveh. He volunteered to be thrown overboard. The storm came upon Jonah because of his disobedience. But instead of mentioning that, Jonah puts the blame on God, for you cast me into the deep. In verse 4, Jonah says, I am driven away from your sight. Isn't this what you wanted, Jonah? You told the sailors that you were fleeing the presence of the Lord. This was your goal when you set sail for Tarshish. Also in verse 4, Jonah desires to look upon the temple. Jonah's eyes and thoughts were where he wanted to be rather than where God wants him. Jonah wants to be near the temple with the people of God, but God called him to Nineveh. And then look at verses 8 and 9. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah's statement here is theologically sound. Salvation does belong to the Lord. And idolaters have no share in God's steadfast, redeeming love. This is true, but it's strange coming from Jonah. It's a strange thing for Jonah to be praying in this moment. Verses 8 and 9 make Jonah look to be like this loyal follower of the Lord. He says, those who worship worthless idols deserve the wrath of God, but because I am faithful and loyal, I deserve steadfast love and salvation. Jonah seems to be congratulating himself in this thankful prayer and sacrifices. It sounds very self-centered. Did you notice the amount of times that Jonah uses that pronoun, I? 
10 times in eight verses. Yes, Jonah is grateful to God for his deliverance, but his description of himself as a godly man is kind of hard to digest, knowing that he has just run from God. He's making vows, but he's not repentant. He recalls his trust in the Lord and yet shows very few signs of trust. And he has expressed thanks for the fact that he's still breathing, but that's it. Jonah's problem is that he thinks that because he belongs to the people of God, that that makes him a better person. He thinks that he's more worthy than other people. Jonah thinks that he's superior to the sailors and to the evil and wicked Ninevites. He does not see himself as a sinner in need of God's mercy. J.I. Packer once said, many people sing amazing grace and give lip service to the idea, but that grace has not profoundly changed them. God's grace should remind us that we deserve nothing but condemnation. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3, verse 23. God's grace should remind us that we are incapable of saving ourselves. For by grace you have been saved through faith, yet this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And the grace of God should remind us that God saves those who believe despite their sin. That's the beauty of the gospel. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But Jonah lived a long time before Christ, before Paul wrote these things. But that does not mean that he's exempt from knowing God's grace. The Old Testament is steeped in God's grace. In Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 through 7, it says that the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. This is who our God is and how he always has been. But Jonah has lost sight of this grace. While he gets it right that idolatry blocks people from God's steadfast love, he's only thinking of literal statues and pagan symbols that the people worshiped. And he doesn't see the idols that he has set up in his own heart that keep him from fully understanding that he is in need of the same grace. And the sailors are the only idolaters that we've encountered up until this point. And so far, they are the ones who have tried to convince Jonah to pray to God. They are the ones who tried to save him so that he wouldn't be hurled into the sea. And they are the ones who seem to be more devoted to the Lord than he is. Jonah may think that God has saved him because he deserves to be saved. That's a dangerous spot to be in. 
No one is worthy of God's salvation. Jonah's own spiritual pride should have been humbled by the simple fact that he received what he did not deserve. Mercy instead of judgment. Deliverance instead of death. This should have changed Jonah profoundly. It should change us profoundly. What did our sin and rebellion earn? Death. The wages of sin is death. But what God makes available to us in Jesus is life. An undeserved gift of mercy and grace. And this should destroy any sort of spiritual pride that we have within our own hearts. Jonah's deliverance is in large part a means to God's end, too. To bring a message to the Ninevites that will reveal his mercy to pagan sinners. God saved Jonah's life for a purpose. And that last line of Jonah's prayer rings with irony. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That phrase sums up the whole book of Jonah. Salvation belongs to the Lord. God will save sinners, and he will save reluctant, wayward prophets wherever and whenever he chooses because of his sovereign love and mercy. Salvation belongs to the Lord. But as soon as Jonah says this line, God causes the great fish to get sick. Did you see that in the text? Look at verse 10. The fish doesn't just spit Jonah out. Verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. One commentator said this, even the fish cannot stomach this self-righteous false piety and in its divinely ordained regurgitation of Jonah, it perhaps expresses God's opinion of Jonah's prayer. Jonah is saved not because he's worthy of it, not because he prayed a perfect prayer, but because of God's grace and because of God's calling on his life. Jonah is now on dry land and will have to go to Nineveh. There's a slight change in him, but he's still in process. And if we're honest, we're all in a process just like Jonah. God isn't finished with Jonah yet, and praise God that he's not finished with us yet. But we should take note of what is happening here. While God is being gracious to Jonah, there is a rebuke for his hypocrisy. This fish vomited Jonah out. So are you in a similar situation? Is God pointing out an area in your life that is inconsistent with the Christian faith? Where you are saying one thing and then doing the opposite. Jonah's prayer sounded good. He quotes God's word. And yet he never mentions repentance. The context of his prayer shouldn't have been thanksgiving. It should have been confession. 
His prayer is hypocritical. Someone can affirm God's word and yet still be running far from God. Are you using the right words in order order to cover your selfish and prideful attitude? Jonah was a prophet of God, called to preach to the Ninevites, and yet he would rather disobey God than see God's grace poured out. It seems like Jonah knows that he's going to Nineveh one way or another, but still remains unchanged in his heart towards Nineveh. We've been given a mission. We, as the church, have been given a mission to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have been called to reach the nations and our neighbors with the gospel. Are you like Jonah, reluctant and unmoved? Or do you understand that God has been merciful to you and has called you to proclaim that mercy to the lost? While Jonah offered up a nice but hypocritical prayer, it was still a prayer that God answered. That's significant. With all of its imperfections and sin, God still heard it and answered it. What a merciful God we serve. Amen? In this story, we're not only seeing Jonah's heart that is full of sin, but we see God's heart, which is full of grace and mercy towards sinners. Jonah turned to God for rescue, but not in repentance. In fact, when we get to the end of the book, we're still not sure if Jonah repented or not. We're hoping because he could be the author of the book that he did, but we're still not sure. Yet he prays to God. God listens to him and saves him. Jonah's cry for help is answered not because of his own righteousness, but because of God's graciousness. The story of Jonah reminds us of our God who is compassionate towards us, even when our prayers are hypocritical. And this should lead us to repentance. His kindness should lead us to repentance. When we see God's kindness toward us, we should not be like Jonah, but we should turn to God, confess our sins, and praise him for his grace. God loves to answer the cries of his wayward, broken, rebellious children. So call out to him. No matter what you've done or where you've been, if you are his child, he will hear you. He's not finished with you, and his grace abounds. All right, and lastly, let's think about the great fish for a second. In verse 17, the text says that God appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. God appointed this fish before Jonah ever hit the water. God appointed this fish before he slept in the inner parts of the ship, before he purchased his one-way ticket to Tarshish, before he stepped out his door and headed to Joppa, before even the word of the Lord came. 
God ordained that great fish to rescue Jonah. Salvation really belongs to the Lord. And God's salvation has come to us through God's sovereign plan. Long before, long before we ever knew that we needed it or wanted it. Again, Romans 5.8 says this, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. There are no barriers to God's grace. Salvation belongs to the Lord and he has provided full salvation in his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus says in Matthew 12, Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 41, that in Jonah's time, in that fish in three days and three nights, that pointed to this truth, that salvation belongs to the Lord through Jesus Christ. So Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 41. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he, Jesus, answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was in, or was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is saying that Jonah's time in the belly of the fish pointed to him, to him who willingly came to the lost, to him who really did descend all the way down to Sheol, to death, to him in order to save sinful hypocrites like you and me. God brings salvation in mysterious ways. God saved Jonah by making a fish swallow him up. You know what's more shocking? That God saved us from our sins through the death of a man on a cross. And three days later, that man rose from the dead. As we see the hypocrisy of our own hearts, as we look at the life of Jonah, we need to turn to the greater Jonah. This story points us to Jesus. We need to turn to Jesus Christ who saves us from our sins and enables us to come to God with repentant hearts. Our greatest need in this life is the grace of God that cleanses us from hypocrisy and pride. And if you are here this morning and you're not a Christian, look at how merciful our God is. We're in the, the Old Testament. God has always been this way. His mercy extends to all who believe in his Son. And so I urge you to turn from your sins and look to Jesus Christ for your salvation. You cannot save yourself no amount of good works will get you to heaven. 
It's only through the greater Jonah, Jesus Christ. Salvation belongs to the Lord. God's saving grace should lead his people to continual repentance. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning and we're thankful for your mercy in our lives. We're thankful for the salvation that you have brought through the life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus. Lord, we, we ask that you would save us from Jonah's mistake. Keep us from praying religious and empty prayers and let our deepest and longest and loudest cries and praise to you to be a cry of repentance. Have mercy on us, Lord. Restore us. Renew us. Give us the grace of repentance. And help us to flee to the greater Jonah that we may know his cleansing grace and his marvelous love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.